Radio. You are listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. IRE, with you on your beat for 40 years. I'm Sean Shinneman. It's the first day of the fall semester here at the University of Missouri, IRE's home base. And since students are headed back to campus newsrooms, we thought it was time to look into the mechanics of a student investigation. On this episode, we'll hear from Megan Jula, a journalism student at Indiana University. Last year, Megan was working for the campus paper, the Indiana Daily Student, she got a pretty alarming email from a student about their suicide attempt. The email, the student who wrote it, helped spark an investigation into the university's mental health services. There's some red flags right off the bat. Megan's first instinct when she got that email was to call Indiana's Counseling and Psychological Services after hours phone number. The person I spoke with had no idea what to do when I said, I have an email from another student. Can I forward you this email? And she was saying, well, we don't have an email address. I don't... I don't know, maybe maybe try to deal with it yourself, basically. So Megan talked to students and staff and looked at data on recommended student-to-counselor ratios. The digging revealed that the university really did not have enough counselors to meet the growing needs of students, and that this wasn't just an Indiana problem. So we began to look into other Big Ten universities to see if they were meeting this, this suggestion. And what we found was, other than Northwestern and Rutgers, Every other Big Ten university was also far outside the ratio. How Megan came to that conclusion and how she navigated the difficult-to-report-on world of college mental health issues, coming up on the IRE Radio podcast. Megan Jula received an email late one Friday night last December. It was from an IU student named Constance. Here's Megan reading Constance's email. On November 17th, I hanged myself in my apartment off campus. The only thing that was reported about the incident was a form faxed to the dean of students excusing me from class while in locked down psychiatric care. In the several weeks, almost two months before the fact, I reached out to anyone I could for help. Though I got referrals and phone numbers to other offices, all that said to me was, you're not my problem. So after I received this email, as you can imagine, um, I was very alarmed, and I followed up with Constance and began to investigate uh, some of the services offered at CAPS. CAPS stands for Counseling and Psychological Services, and is IU's mental health services provider for students. By the end of her investigation, Megan found that nearly every Big Ten school, including Indiana, was understaffing its mental health counseling services. At Indiana, fewer counselors meant longer wait times in between therapy sessions, and longer wait times put students like Constance at risk. In her story, Megan explained that Constance had struggled with mental illness most of her life and had been diagnosed with clinical depression when she was young. She was working toward a fine arts degree at Indiana, but found herself overwhelmed, struggling to sleep or leave her room. So she went to CAPS. They set up her first counseling appointment, but the two-week wait time proved to be too long. When she called back to CAPS, it was from her hospital bed. She wouldn't make it to her appointment. During the two-week wait period, she tried to kill herself.
Bonsons had reached out to Megan because of a story she wrote earlier that year. Last fall, she looked into IU's handling of student deaths and found that the university wasn't keeping an accurate count of how many students died. When Megan saw Constance's email, her first response wasn't to reach for her reporter's notebook. She was worried for Constance's safety. She got the email late in the day, so she called the CAPS after hours line, expecting to get in touch with someone local. CAPS actually has an outsourced service in Portland, Oregon, um, where a professional there will take your call. And this the person I spoke with had no idea what to do when I said, I have an email from another student. Can I forward you this email? And she's saying, well, we don't have an email address. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe try to deal with it yourself, basically. Um, so that was another red flag that there was uh, an, uh, you know, a barrier to getting med- mental health services. Um, and so that really kind of planted the seed for me to want to correct and investigate some of the, the issues going on. At the time, Megan was feeling a little bit in over her head, but still, she sent Constance a response. Thank you for sharing such a personal story with me. Your email has me really worried, and I want to make sure you have help. What can I do to help you? I called the after-hours number at the health center at IU, and this is their number. I gave her the phone number. Um, I said, they have, I know you had problems with it before, but they have trained professionals who know more than I do. Once again, please let me know. There's anything I can do. Thank you, Megan Jula. Silence. Megan went on winter break shortly after replying to Constance's email. When she got back to campus, she set up an independent study class with a journalism professor and began digging into CAPS. She also sent Constance another email. I want to let you know that this semester I'm reporting on problems with mental health services at, at Indiana University. I've heard issues uh, from all spectrums, and I'd like to better understand what they are and what can be done. When I received your email last semester, my first reaction was to help in any way possible. And then I explained what happened when I tried to call. And I said, please feel free to let me know if you want to meet in person and we can talk more. I'd love to have your insight as I begin reporting. It was very open-ended at the beginning. I don't think she contacted me initially with the idea that she would be the source in a, in a, a longer story. Um, that's exactly how it worked out. Constance proved to be an ideal source for Megan. She was candid, she kept detailed notes on her experience, and she let Megan into her world. Still, she had experienced something traumatic, so Megan was patient and made sure to work at a pace that made her source feel comfortable. So we took it very slow. Um, the first thing we did was met and just talked um, off the record just to get to know each other and what was going on, and after that initial in-person meeting, um, we were kind of on the same, the same grounds that we wanted to proceed with the story, um, that, it would, that she felt it would be okay for her to share her story. Another sensitive issue for Megan was checking the validity of Constance's story. She believed Constance was telling the truth about her attempted suicide, and that trust helped her make important inroads. But still, Megan wanted to confirm as many details as possible using documents. She asked to see Constance's hospital release forms. One of my concerns was, while I obviously trusted her and we'd built up a a working relationship, I didn't want to say anything that wasn't true or any, you know, details that got misconstrued or add more drama than there was to the situation. So these forms that she showed me were, you know, verified that, yes, she was in the hospital, yes, it was for a suicide attempt, and it wasn't, not that I didn't trust her, but that I could verify it wasn't uh, something that she 
had elaborated or made up or embellished in any way. Megan went through campus mental health advocacy groups to reach out to other students who had used CAPS. In the story, she includes the voices of three women who attended counseling sessions with varying degrees of success. Megan says that in many cases, talking to other students on the record was actually more difficult than talking to Constance. Megan felt some people were uncertain about being quoted in a story about such a stigmatized issue. Especially having your picture taken is a little uh, uncomfortable for some people when they realize that their face is going to be associated with a story on mental health. Um, but thankfully, the three girls that I ended up quoting in the story um, were all very willing. Megan also wanted to get access to the university's records on CAPS, so she filed FOIA requests with the university's general counsel, which serves as a kind of clearing house for all university records requests. As you can probably guess, this creates a bit of a backlog. Megan filed her request in February and March, but didn't get documents until after her story was published in April. Of course, during the reporting, she was aware that she couldn't count on a speedy reply to her requests, so she began to pursue other routes. Megan talked to CAPS director Nancy Stockton and IU Health Center director Pete Grog, who were somewhat helpful. Megan says she interviewed Stockton several times over the course of her reporting. She was willing to give me exact information. So if I asked for numbers, uh, numbers of counselors, numbers of students attending counseling, things like that, if she had that information, she was willing to give it. It was one of those open-ended questions where I was saying, you know, what number of counselors is appropriate for this number of students? Or how could your services be improved that she would uh, be a little more hesitant to, <laughs> to share that information or, you know, give her opinion? Megan went to a neutral source to answer those questions. CAPS is accredited to provide mental health services by an organization called the International Association of Counseling Services, or IACS. The group provided Megan with a recommended minimum counselors-to-student ratio, IX suggests that each campus should have one counselor for every 1,500 students. And we could tell immediately from the data that we had that we weren't anywhere near those numbers. We were actually one counselor per 2,110 students, so way outside that ratio. In fact, CAPS would need to hire nine more counselors to meet the minimum ratio. So Megan went back to the CAPS director and asked her about the IX recommendation. You know, you're not meeting this ratio. Are you concerned? Is that a problem? And her response was that ratio is very idealized. You know, that would be great to strive for, and we'd be happy to have that number, but we don't. And they still accredited us even, you know, with a little asterisk saying we should improve our ratio. So for now, we're fine. In January of this year, one month after Constance emailed Megan, Indiana started a program called CAPS Now, which guarantees an appointment to anyone within 48 hours of making contact. The program tapped into an obvious need on campus, drawing 847 patients in the first three months. It also appeared to be directly addressing the problem Megan was investigating. So, again, she went to the CAPS director. So this was a response to the problem, but when I would ask about this program, they wouldn't acknowledge that it was a problem in the first place. They would say, oh, we're just improving our services. So it was kind of ignoring the issue and blocking it over so that everything seemed to be okay. T. 
To get some context, Megan and another reporter, James Benedict, decided to look at the counselor-to-student ratios at other Big Ten schools. But they quickly realized it wouldn't be an easy task. At one point, they both emailed the same university asking for its number of counselors. And we got back different numbers. And it was, it was something like I got back 24 and he got back 22. And we looked at each other and we said, you know, that's not right. Something, um, they must be measuring things in different ways. They ran into what Megan called the problem of comparing apples to apples. Basically, schools were employing a certain number of people in their counseling services. Many of those people held the title of counselor, but not all of them actually counseled students. If they didn't have sessions with students, Megan didn't want them to count as counselors. She only wanted apples, but some schools were calling their oranges apples, and it forced Megan and James to do more detailed research. If you just send an email, you're going to get a response, so we have 27 counselors. Well, are they full-time counselors, or you know, are some of them um, only dealing with sexual assault, things like that? So it was definitely reading into the numbers and making sure we were comparing uh, the right number of counselors, the number of students, and Data tells a lot of stories, but it can easily uh, be misconstrued if you don't understand exactly what the numbers represent. After Megan's story was published, IU approved a new budget which included funds to allow CAPS to have three additional counselors. Megan says that, despite what she thought would happen, the university reacted positively to her story. I've developed a working relationship with the university's spokesperson, Mark Land, and uh, he sent me an email and said, you know, good job, you dealt with this fairly. Um, so that meant a lot to me as a, as a reporter, as a student, because I'm not trying to slam on my school. I'm trying to improve the services that are available. She also made sure to check in with Constance. I was, you know, concerned this whole time the story was going on that whether this would be good for her mental health. And, you know, as a person and not just a reporter, I didn't want to do anything that would harm her. But we talked a lot the day or so after the story came out, and she was, Things, you know, she felt more of an outpouring of support than anything, not of, not of criticism. Megan says that as a student reporter, she had an advantage over local full-time reporters. She was on campus every day listening to her readers, talking to them, and engaging with them in a way that a local Bloomington paper never could. As a student reporter, you're kind of the expert on, on what's going on at your university. Uh, sometimes you hear rumors and whispers, and sometimes those are nothing, but uh, sometimes you can follow up and um, hold the institution accountable. Thanks for listening. You can find past episodes and show notes on our website, ire.org slash podcast. Got some great stuff in the works, including a dive into immigration issues with Maria Sacchetti of the Boston Globe. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher to stay up to date with the latest episodes. This story was a team effort. It was reported by Shelby Mann. Aaron Pellish wrote the script. IRE web editor Sarah Hutchins edits the podcast. And you can reach her at web at ire.org. You can reach me at Sean S. That's S-H-A-W-N-S at IRE.org. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for this episode from Columbia, Missouri. I'm Sean Shinneman.
Podcast. Podcast.